We're ready to rock and roll. Okay. Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And in running with our tradition of having a David on the podcast, we have... <laughs> Wait, that's a tradition? As of last last episode. Okay. Yeah, so every... We need to every, find more Davids. <laughs> every three years, we'll have two Davids on in a row. How's that sound? Can we, like, alternate between Davids and Matts? Sure. <laughs> All right. At our last meetup, we had three Matts. I think between Davids and Matts, we'll never need a guest again, or never need to search for a guest. Yeah, reminds me of the Stephen Project. Do you remember the Stephen Project? No. Oh, how did I how did I not hear about the Stephen Project? Yeah, the Stephen Project. Oh, they didn't was... invite you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Stephen Project was. Oh, scientist named Stephen who uh, would sign on to say evolution was real. Yes, exactly. I do remember this. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so David Youssef is back on. Thanks for coming on, David. No problem, guys. And the reason I wanted to talk to you again, um, well, we all did, was the uh, very thought-provoking and engaging uh, Reddit post. On the subreddit from, I guess, like, what, 10 days ago or something? Something like that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, who wants to take the lead on this? Well, it should be David, since it was his post. That makes sense. David, what's the problem that you have seen? Okay. I wrote a little something out because I wanted to make my thoughts clear. Oh, okay. I am frustrated. Mm. In Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality... Voldemort's big reveal of a plan is that he wanted to create a, essentially a terrorist group so that they could be defeated by him, you know, gaining all the accolades. But it didn't work out that way because the wizarding community was such cowards that a group of two dozen people was able to utterly wreck most of their world. If we take this analogy at the kind of direction that it was implied, where rationality is magic. What does that imply for us? It implies that when we see people using the dark arts in public, it's cowardice for us not to step up and call them out on what they're doing. And I see it everywhere right now. I brought up Ben Shapiro in my original post because he is the most grating version of this. He's a person who claims to be rational and intelligent when really he is a rationalizer and the, the kind of person that both would appreciate rationality the most and is abusing it the most currently. And I really don't know exactly what to do, but I do know that if we don't step in and do something, what it means to be rational will eventually have a definition that is going to be co-opted and essentially changed in its connotation by political forces and politics is the mind killer. Yeah, I see this happening a bit already. I think Rational Wiki has some people editing it in a very negatively skewed way. That's been the case. I, I discovered Rational Wiki on the same day that I never went back to it when I Googled. <laughs> I found it and then it's like Eliezer Yudkowsky oh. and it was extremely derisive. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, he's the uh, basilisk guy. Yeah, and like Scott Alexander is racist, and yeah. So I I googled the few people I knew, and I was like, okay, this is obviously some like conservapedia style thing, and I never went back to it. So is this something that people actually try and reference? Rational Wiki. I think the ones who like Rational Wiki sometimes reference it, but it's more of a like an inner circle fun thing that they do, in my opinion. I'm worried that it exists because it it, it slanders a bunch of people in the movement, mischaracterizes their views. Uh, picks and chooses quotes to try to make people look bad yeah but i mean in that way it's no different than info wars or any other like ideologically driven 
group that has their own wiki. I or mean, like Conservapedia. Yeah, Conservapedia, but I mean, yeah, I hate yeah, the yeah. fact that those exist too. Well, I, I don't like the fact that they exist, but like everyone knows Conservapedia is a joke. But not everyone knows that Rational Wiki doesn't. I think anyone who takes more than three or four page views on Rational Wiki is going to realize it's basically a different kind of Conservapedia. Okay, good. I wasn't sure if it was someone, that obvious. Yeah, someone in the Rationalist movement would know that. Somebody who's just heard about it for the first time. Like I had um, an argument with my partner recently who's not in the rationalist movement and is kind of um, more social justice aligned and who's saying these things about rational uh, like saying some stuff about Scott Alexander and like oh yeah this guy is racist and sexist and so I don't really listen to anything that he has to say and I don't I'm really skeptical of the whole rationalist movement in general they think that they're rationalists but they actually do and it was like just saying a bunch of stuff that didn't actually like, characterize the movement at all and I'm like where are you hearing this stuff well I mean they hear it from the our left circle jerky places yeah <sighs> so well, I, I i actually want to disagree yeah because i think what's happened is we have decided to just dis- to cut ourselves off from the public political discourse because of our natural and i think reasonable trepidation of being involved in that and so who are the people talking about what is rational and intelligent and logical in the public sphere a lot of times it's crazy people on the alt-right. It, can you blame people on the social justice left if the only time they hear about rationality is people being like, yes, race science is a rational decision. No, they're going to get a bad taste in their mouth, and I don't blame them. Yeah. That's what irritates me. I think we've abdicated responsibility. I don't... Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a bunch of thoughts. One is I wonder whether we actually have the political... Uh, clout or popularity or whatever do we have like a big enough voice to be able to actually reclaim rationality for what we think it means we're smaller than ben shapiro and like the international what is it the dark web people yeah intellectual (laughs) the international dark web (laughs) that's a different thing i i mean i believe in us Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but this community has consistently surprised me with its ingenuity. We haven't really tried. Yeah, running running like, with your Death Eater metaphor. If we were the Death Eaters, and there's there's only you know a few dozen of us. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're all smarter, then we can still win, right? <laughs> yeah, I but mean, we also have to be coordinated. We, and we also aren't in a uh, fictional world where the author gets to do cool shit. And we don't have a Dark Lord. Yeah. Yeah. We just need a Dark Lord. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Has no one realized that there are literally military tanks going down Washington, D.C. right now? What more do we need from a Dark Lord? No, I no, mean, no, no. I meant to rally we the rationalists. Branding? Yes. No, no. We, we need our own Dark Lord. Yeah, yeah. We need a light Lord, <laughs> to put it that way. I don't know. Okay, so I don't think this rationalism thing is necessarily a new problem because... I mean, going far, as at least as far back as the 1800s, where people were measuring people's skulls and saying that, yes, you can tell because of this race's typical skull dimensions, they are obviously inferior at doing these things, that, uh, that people have been using scient- scientific-ish methods and rational-sounding-ish methods to justify their own racism for as long as science has existed. And I think that's a problem. I think that... that turns off a lot of people to things like science and rationalism because they're like oh that's just what you hide behind when you want to be a racist piece of shit um but i don't know what the hell to do about that this has been around way longer than we ever have and there is 
I mean, there's a distinct advantage to being actually rational, and the problem is that that advantage, I mean, it, the actual advantage that that gives you does is noticeable in the real world. People get more done if they can, if they can be rational and uh, invoke it. God, someone commented on this in the thread somewhere, uh, where they said that since it works and people see that it works, people who use rational-looking or rational-sounding vocabulary are going to have the authority of that thing working added to their words. And so people who don't necessarily actually have rationalism in their blood at all, well, in their blood, in their <laughs> thought processes at all, will co-opt the vocabulary in order to make themselves sound more th authoritative and give their crappy arguments weight, even though they aren't actually rational. And then the entire the entire thing is tainted with their using that vocab. And I don't know how you can fight that. I mean, what do you do? Uh, going back... I mean... Go ahead, David. Yes. Oh, I was going to say that, like, if we were scientists and we found out there was a scientist who was spreading false information or using unethical methods, we would publicly and as a group repudiate them as well as publicly, like release information describing every way they were wrong it won't convince everyone some of the people who got fooled will stay fooled but at least then we can say we did our best we didn't just let it slide yeah well that's literally what happened with uh was it god now i think everyone's first name is a david but was it david wakefield andrew wakefield andrew, andrew wakefield that's okay what I was gonna say, so we need like a public crucifixion of andrew wakefield or of, of ben shapiro from the rationalists the way that andrew wakefield got crucified by scientists i guess but i mean what was his crucifixion they withdrew uh his study and they said publicly that this was scientific fraud and it should not be followed but all every there's still a huge anti-vax movement out there because of what he did and they still believe him they're like nope he was he was a doctor i don't care what all these other people say true but i think that's more than what what the rationalist community has done for someone like ben shapiro yeah but we also don't have like a central organization that can say this this view is not officially endorsed that there was fraud used yeah we don't have i that mean yet. Hmm. We don't need that. We just need good arguments. Like, authority is always the second best thing. If we just publicly go out and say, yo, this is dumb. We know this is dumb, and we can explain why it's dumb here, here, and here. Well, we do have good arguments for some things in uh, the writings of Scott Alexander, and yet he is still, by a lot of people, they won't read his stuff because they've heard he's a racist, sexist, whatever, which... He's obviously not, if you actually read his things, but some of the stuff he says goes against the the liberal narrative of whatever the liberal narrative is, and so he gets the well, you're not you're not speaking for us on this particular issue, so you must be one of the alt right trolls. That's the exact reaction that this partner had, which I, I was so frustrated by that. Yeah, I, I remember being more in the social justice community and um, having that kind of knee-jerk reaction like anytime you're introduced to it makes you really paranoid and it trains you to be looking out for who's an enemy and then who's on our side and you're looking for these little secret cues mm -hmm. and like one strike means that you're out right oh man you um misgendered somebody that one time it's like oh that minus points if you've been on a podcast that has had uh friendly conversations with different people who are on the right then you're automatically 
smeared as well. Can't talk to those people. I mean, it's weird because I've seen people call him a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> and he actually has great aunts and uncles who died in the Holocaust, you know? I, like, Which makes his Nazi sympathy, sympathy way confusing, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just really hated those great aunts and uncles. Right. Um, I think he has an incredibly nuanced view on race and gender too and yeah. is a very like compassionate person yeah someone who's actually willing to look at like what are the problems he has a post that i shared with my partner that was he did a calculus for here's what the cost of racism is just here's just what the economic cost of racism is based on like here's some studies that show the impacts that racism has and then weighs that out to a monetary uh, amount and is able to show besides all the like actual stress trauma and unhappiness that this causes here's the economic cost of racism so like this is my point that racism is bad and here's the, the evidence for it and i was kind of telling my partner i'm like yeah like this is why i'm annoyed at the social justice stuff because this this here is quantifying something you know like we're, we're trying to find like is racism bad yes or no okay let's look at these studies that show the impact of racism and then quantify it in some manner and then maybe try to come up with different frameworks and models where we can try to make that better, measure the results and see whether they worked or not. And I think the problem with that is uh, you are not viewing racism as automatically intrinsically evil. You are saying, let's look at the world and the situation and see if it's evil or not. And I mean, it is, as we know, uh, but anyone who is on the... I keep calling it the far left. I don't know what term to use for this. Uh, the illiberal I had heard left? the regressive left. Regressive left? Okay. Anyone on the regressive left side does not want to see any sort of studies or anything because they don't care. Racism is just bad, period. Uh, emotional appeals. And I mean, it is bad, period. But the fact that someone would take the time to bother to look at studies to show that it's bad is, in their opinion, a sign that, you know what? If, if the data showed that racism isn't evil then this person would be on the side of racism and therefore this person is evil automatically. I think that's because if you're citing studies, like, so what if it turned out that it was more economically uh, beneficial to be, have a racist community or something? Right. Or like, like if the, so if you're, if you're basing it, I, 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 my, my, I mean, Scott Alexander's position, I'm assuming is that racism is bad. If you want proof, here's some numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, but like it's it's not bad because the numbers it's bad for other reasons. But if you're not convinced that it's bad for those other reasons, here's here's uh, you know empirical evidence that it's bad. Um, but the the empirical evidence could have gone the other way. I remember I think uh, Sam Harris put it poignantly when what two three years ago it showed that um, something like fifty percent of or I forget the number some sort of staggering number or percentage of of humans today have Neanderthal DNA. Mm -hmm. And it happens Basically to everyone outside of Africa. Right. Yeah. But if it happened to have been people from Africa instead, mm -hmm. um, this would have been a nightmare for the people who discovered this, right? Right, right. Yeah, and like he, he tweeted out, oh, it turns out that, yeah, we do have Neanderthal blood as long as you're, you know, as long as you've left Africa or something, you're it, part... It was like, yeah, whites are special, we're part Neanderthal. Right, 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 yeah. that was it. Like in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way. Yeah, but but that's the thing is, like, if, if you're... If you're going to hedge anything on any empirical evidence, right. then there's a chance the evidence could go against your 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 sacred cow, right? right? Um, and don't get me wrong, racism is is bad. Whether or not it's like even if it worked out to where like a an economy was five percent less efficient when it you know wasn't racist, even if that was the case, which it's not, don't don't mishear me. <laughs> um, it would still be good to you, you just suck that up 
and because it's there are other benefits aside from like the measurable you know economic output or something right yeah and in, in that case then if the economic uh if it were economically beneficial, then it's like, okay, we'll take that into account. But like, you're going to measure all the other ways in which it is bad. I mean, you're studying it for a reason. People think it's bad. First of all, is it bad? What are, what are the components that make it bad? And then how do you um, ameliorate those components? So I would still want to know, okay, like if the economics aren't a problem, then, then that's not a problem. So we're not going to look at that. We're going to make different kinds of solutions that help these other things that are actually problems. That's why it's still important to know what the truth is but yeah that's the problem is we actually care about what the truth is and we do look into these sorts of things yeah. and if the truth could destroy your beliefs there's a lot of people that say you shouldn't even be fucking looking at the truth which is awful um, it is it, but if you care about fixing things if you just care about being right well they care about fixing whatever social issue they are they think is important to fix and the fact that we would be looking at evidence shows that we're on the wrong side i mean i don't know yeah. how you can possibly win those people over necessarily you win them over you win them yeah. <clears throat> you win them over by t not only having the moral high ground but beating them to the punch when it comes to the things that they care about most like i agree i am not a fan of the illiberal left but the way I've been looking at things is that the illiberal left, the big issue is ostracization. And that's not great. Nobody wants that. What do you mean? Like when... If you cross that boundary, that one strike policy you were mentioning earlier, mm. you are ostracized. You are cut off from your community if you are a part of those communities and they will sometimes go out of their way to make sure it's hard for you to form a new one. Okay. So you're talking and about that is like a tribal terrible tactics. thing. Yeah. And yeah. group out group bullshit. Yeah. But I can deal with that. What scares me more is seeing these same kind of dark magic tactics used on the right. Like I'm way more worried about Ben Shapiro because yeah, he can say from now until Sunday that he is a Jewish person and that he is not involved in these things. But the guy who shot up that synagogue literally cited him and made sure to say, oh, they were uh, religious Jews, not cultural Jews, a phrase that Ben Shapiro uses. Like, the rhetoric of the left is bad. And the way they don't use rationality is bad. But the way that the right is going is significantly more dangerous to human lives. And it starts with people who essentially are spreading propaganda under the guise of reasonability. Yeah. And if we want to have any chance to show the left that even if we don't agree with them, we deserve to be respected, we should be on the front lines of the part of the fight that we're good at. And that is like cleanly and clearly going through and being like hey you made these crazy claims that you say are just questions about like you know black on black violence but when someone brings up these other issues around those studies you don't listen to them it sounds like you don't actually care about the truth you don't actually care about these questions you are using this as a justification for further violence and and then just tear them down in the public court I don't think it'll win every time, but I'm pretty sure if you do that enough times, even like the illiberal left will eventually start to look. I do think we should probably 
speak out a little more often about that. It's weird because I don't consider anyone on the right in my community, really. And so you get more worried about people in your community fucking things up. Whereas if someone on the other team is being an asshole, you're like, well, they're on the other team. Obviously, they're going to do that. But I, I totally get what you're saying because I have noticed... I don't know. There's, there is a very wide spread of, of political opinions in the rationality movement, which I think is pretty healthy. But I also think it's weird that like a not insignificant portion of rationalists were really into Jordan Peterson. I'm like, what the fuck? He, he's spouting like weird, random rationalist jargon. And some of the stuff he says is useful. But overall, he's kind of an idiot. And, and I as I was one of those people, oh, and like okay. I think that's why I'm more sensitive to these things because I'm a lot closer to the right. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times these individual speakers in the dark web are very reasonable on their own. And if you look at their early career, there's no problem. Yeah. But as they get rejected by the left, the natural political gravity is for speakers on the right to invite them in. And that, of course, is going to create cross-contamination. Like, every time Jordan Peterson has to communicate with more right-wing people, his next speech is worse, and he's more insane. So it's like they start pandering to the crowds that are accepting of them? I think that's part of it, yeah. Do you think they genuinely start um, absorbing some of the mindset of those groups, or do they still have their previous position in mind, and they're kind of just doing it for political uh, status. I think, I think they get absorbed. I think mm. as a human, it's like the... impossible not to become more like the people you spend most of your time with. Yeah, yeah certainly. If one group's kicking yeah. you out, and you're like, okay, these people don't think I'm crazy. The other people that I used to cohort with, they must be the crazy ones. Yeah. Well, and those people hurt you. Yeah, and these people are here, like, helping those wounds heal. So obviously, you're gonna feel more emotional gratitude towards them. Like, here's the best example I can give from the Jordan Peterson perspective. I watched him give one of his lectures on biblical psychology that he did in Canada. And there's a part where he comes up to an Orson Welles quote where he talks, where Orson Welles discourages socialism. And you see Jordan Peterson tap down around the fact that Canada is essentially a democratic socialist country. And he's like, yo, I love the government structure we have here. He's talking about like communist socialism. <laughs> And, like, it's not an entirely vapid point, but whatever. And then a few weeks ago, or, like, a month or two ago, he goes into this debate with Slavak Zizek, who, by the way, all of the craziness aside, is a really smart dude. And instead of completely owning the debate by playing the intelligent moderate ground of being like, hey, you're advocating for communism, I am a pro-democratic socialist, now he's espousing, like, crazy, clear, right-wing libertarian propaganda. Not even, like, the good stuff. And I'm like, what happened? In the course of, like, a year and a half, this person went from defending democratic socialism to ignoring the fact that it is the government that he grew under. Yeah, that is weird. I actually liked some of his stuff. Peterson is, like, long-winded and boring, but, uh... I think he had some good things to say. I read uh, 12 Rules for Life, and I read some of Maps of Meaning, but, like, he's, yeah, turned into this weird internet meme person, radicalized. It's scary that that can happen. 
Yeah, it's really sad, too, because, like, I still recommend to people, if you can find his old, like, 2014 psychology lectures, they're really insightful. Like, he sounds like he would have been a great teacher, but it's a little bit of that uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. Just because you're good at psychology doesn't mean maybe you have the best political insights. Yeah, this is true. Back to rationality. It's a bit sad, I think, that we're stuck with a, a label. It's really hard to rename yourself. Maybe impossible. I've been... I thought about that as well. I don't think we could really rebrand at this point. It would be very difficult. And I guess this is me trying to make a call to arms, and I'll try to put my money where my mouth is and actively do it myself. But maybe we should take it on ourselves to actively go into those communities where we're like, oh, we should just give up on these people and find out what their reasoning actually is because I bet you it wouldn't be very hard to dismantle it. And even if we only help 5% of people, those 5% are probably going to be the most fervent supporters. What's that uh, old saying? There's no faith like the faith of the converted. No, well, hold on a sec. What do you mean go into these communities and reach out to people? Because I don't know what communities you're talking about or how we're going to go into them. Go to the Republican Alt-right. National Convention and start yeah. know, preaching the good word. Okay. <laughs> Get started. Like on some I, I hate to say it, but yeah, like going online to these forums. If not us, who? Okay. Like no one else is gonna do this social role, and it's important, and it's a place where we can thrive. And I think it would help us both, kind of rectify the name of rationality, and try to actively divorce it from politics. Like, I think it would be just as reasonable for us to do this same sort of, like, rigorous work in our own, like, more left-leaning circles. But let it be known and let it be going on forth. Like, oh, man, have you heard the rationality community stormed, like, Stormwatch or something or an alt-right group and just destroyed them and refused to give up? And then when they wouldn't listen, we destroyed their website. Like, I'm not – I have no guilt over such ideas. Are you saying that we need to go, like – refute all their arguments, and then DDoS them? Because that would be fun. <laughs> I'm actually kind I, of. I, I'm not sure how that I feel about literally far. trying to take down people's websites. Like, why yeah. are we doing this? Because <laughs> it would be funny. No, I don't <laughs> think that that's a good way to win arguments. It would be funny. Um, I mean, the best way to run arguments is street epistemology, which I learned from this podcast when you guys first started. Yeah, yeah I really like what a be confident enough to start doing that i do think it's important that when we see things shared like ben shapiro being an idiot to point out this is not rationality this is a douchebag co-opting the words of rationality to sound smart but i don't know what can we call him like straw vulcan or something i don't even know what you would straw rationalist i like i think david used rationalizer rationalizer yeah yeah i mean that's, I guess, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm convinced that there's something that could be gained from, like, undertaking this effort. And you're right, like, I don't see a lot of rationalists arguing with people online, or at least they don't, I mean, if I see somebody arguing with somebody on Reddit, I don't know if they're rationalist or not, right? So mm-hmm. maybe, but I guess, so this isn't an argument against, like, the attempt, it's sort of just, like, then you, we've got to think about how to do this tactfully, because, like, 
the Bayesian conspiracy doesn't have the listenership that the Ben Shapiro show does, <laughs> right? So, you know, even if we were to then, you know, plus I don't want to have to listen to the show, listen to the Ben Shapiro show, yeah. only yeah. to say like, oh, he, he was wrong about these things. Um, I guess if something comes across my my feed and then there's an opportunity for me to do something, I, I'll say something. But right, I, I think. I, the people we hang out with don't generally quote Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, I think the people that we hang out with generally aren't the kind of people that are going to go pick fights on the internet. Like, And maybe that's part of the problem and the reason we're not doing this. There's, I think like the goals of a lot of rationalists are not build a bigger political presence and convert people. I'm not saying whether they should or shouldn't be, but people are more concerned with effective altruism and trying to align AI and trying to get like effective self-help and you know whatever our topics of interest are so i have a former partner who's a satanist and the thing is the vast majority of americans when they hear satanist they think you know worships the devil possibly does black blood sacrifices things like that right definitely eats babies definitely eats babies yeah that's like number one rule for being a satanist might be a lesbian (laughs) but you know it's just this group a small group in denver with you know they're a chapter of an overall national organization more or less sort of of people who get together do some fun ritual stuff uh are generally pretty left-leaning pretty open pretty poly and just really enjoy making fun of the catholic church right almost all of them are atheist or agnostic or at, at, at any point there's no literal worshiping of the devil as they don't actually believe in him as a as a person and they're like yeah i mean we're satanists that's our name now and the people who like know them and care to find out can find this out and the rest of the world are just like oh evil satan worshipers and like yeah whatever blow me we don't care i've got a this is a side point but i now i can't help but think of the question if somebody showed up at the church doors of the church of satan Mm -hmm. and seemed in all earnest all, all earnestness to be presenting an honest belief in Satan as the one true savior. And they weren't like trolling, like the organization is like gold to do. Yeah. How do they handle that? Somebody shows up and they're like, I believe Satan. And like, they're, they're not budging. And, they're, like, and I brought my bag of dead babies. I'm pretty sure that's never happened in the history of the world. That's cool. People don't generally worship the evil deity. Eh. There's all <laughs> kinds of crazy people in the world. That's true. But they probably wouldn't show up at the Satanist church anyway. They would have like the, They'll they, have their they, own cool Satanist church with blackjack and hookers and dead and dead babies, right? Well, they probably have a basement with a cooler and bodies in it, and, and eventually end up in jail. I shit. Okay, so Ineos. Yes, and so I'm not saying that to the way your... they do things is right, but on the other hand, I kind of admire the whole not giving a fuck that other people don't know shit about us thing. But yes, to my thing. But here's the thing: they actually do go out into the public when it's important. For example. Satanic Temple oh, I love those guys. sued Arkansas Simple, uh, sued Arkansas City because they had a copy of the Ten Commandments, and they were like, "We're gonna put in a Baphomet statue. Yeah. Our thing is the separation of church and state. Even though any individual chapter is small, and most of the time all we do is hang out. When we see someone clearly violating this, we are going to go into the public sphere, and we're not afraid to attract that attention, like." we should have a similar kind of conviction. 
I agree. Like, it, I, I think, yeah, and I think that's totally within our power as a community. And you know what? They won. They ended up having to put a statue of Satan in front of Arkansas City <laughs> State House, right next to the Ten Commandments. It's so good. That's absolutely bananas. And it's like a statue of Baphomet, like patting a child's head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks so cute. They ended up just taking both of them down. <laughs> yeah, and Which they won. The like yeah. they. And why are we not? just as persistent well for starters we don't have any sort of organization we right now are just a bunch of people who hang out on forums and sometimes have meetups i think that's people that are working at miri yeah or... i don't know do you think we should i kind of have been thinking we should organize for a long time but on the other hand who wants to do that fucking work man yeah there are pros and cons to organization and um also i think the type of people that you need to be management-oriented people are hard to come by in our group. I'm... I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I'm not even joking. David for Dark Lord. It's kind, of been my, it's kind of been my goal for a while, and I enjoy social communication. The only reason I haven't tried is because this community is some of the smartest, most motivated people I've ever met, and I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. Let me finish my degree. <laughs> but one year and I am willing to do that legwork. I just don't want to do it if I think that no one is going to care and no one's going to like want to join. Um, in the Bay Area, Raymond Arnold had put out a call asking if, if anyone is actually genuinely interested in doing community building stuff, reach out to me and, and come talk. I'm not sure exactly what he's got in mind or whether they're just kind of trying to develop plans and assign people roles right now. I'm also super interested in that, but uh, I'm not like at a place in my life where I could go I know we've, do that. I know we've mentioned this at least once before, and Stephen was really against it, but um, I don't think it would be a bad idea to incorporate like as a religious organization under U.S. law. I'm probably less against that now than I was. <laughs> I mean, I, I do feel like, well, I guess I, could, I don't remember my previous stance on this, but I, I mean thinking about it i never see that working we'll never get the big names in i don't think mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine elias yudkowski being on board with this <laughs> right. i mean ma and many people who find rationality found it uh you know it would have to have as, some kind of tongue-in-cheek name yeah but it would be like as part of their leaving <laughs> religion stuff right and so like i i mean i i guess you know you're saying similar to the church of satan yes and I mean, I guess I like what they do. I don't see myself attending, but mainly just because I don't think that I'd have fun. But I like that they do stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, no one could stop you from making... Well, I guess you have to. You have a little bit of legwork. But I mean, if the, if the 20 of us to come to meetups here in Denver want to make a church out of it, we can. Right. Um, I'm not sure what it costs. Not that much. No. So, uh, I... and well, Maybe a church... Maybe a church isn't the best form of organization... Like, I think we mentioned once the idea of, like, a guild of rationalists, which I like the turn of phrase there. Oh, I would love to have a guild. I, <laughs> but I do think the idea of a more structured group that can, like, successfully support franchises. Like, I know how frustrating it is to be a rationalist in a super small community with literally only one other person to talk to about it. And it would have been amazing for me if there was a group out there I could have reached out to that would have been like, here's the handbook. You don't have anyone like to go. Here's like your first few meetings got set up for you. And yeah. like, we, there's always someone to contact. 
those would be immensely valuable at helping someone who is even less social than me at getting one started. Like, my goal is to make it so easy to start a chapter of, like, a discussion group about rationality that almost every town of over 2,000 people has at least five. Well, I mean, it is already that easy. You just create a group on uh, meetups, and then you try to meet up. The problem is getting enough That's interest in a small community to get the people yeah, to come. Yeah, the problem is the getting the person who's going to organize the group and do all the logistics, which... Uh, not a lot of people have those skills, especially, I think, in this group, people tend to be more introverted um, and involved in their own kinds of projects. It's and often concerned with making money, and that doesn't, you know... Well, I mean, Stephen and me... Uh, and that, and it's just awkward. Yeah, before... Like, most but, people don't have the social skills to run their first meeting when they've never run one before. Having, like, a plan just for your first, like, five or six meetings as a group would be really, really useful. I think there are guides like that online. Um, like on Less Wrong and on somewhere else. It was, uh, may, may have been the... Might have been Slate Star Codex, actually. Might have been Slate Star Codex. Might have been... I remember the... um, Scott was encouraging people to start Slate Star Codex meetups. Nice. And yeah. had, I think, a post that explained the steps. I remember back when I was when I was getting this one, trying to get this one, well, when we were getting this one going, it was, I looked up some of this stuff, and it might have been the Columbus Rationality Group who put out some sort of you know, no, I think it was on the community, I, whatever it was. There was something like this, but the fact that I can't remember, you know, then therefore easily find it again probably means that it needs to be more prominent. What were you going to say, though, Inyash? Well, I was going to say that when Stephen and me started the Denver group, uh, we spent a n number of months, like three or four months at least, just like going to a place and the two of us hanging out for like an hour and a half and then going home again because just no one came. It's not a thing that our type of people generally go out to. It. We were basically on the verge of giving up. I think we'd skipped a couple months, and then uh, HPMOR wrapped up. And Eliezer said, hey, anybody who wants to have a thing, do it on Pi Day this year. Uh, the last chapter is coming out that day, and everybody meets up, and we can just kind of like have fun and celebrate. And at that point, we said, okay, we're doing this at Darcy's. And I think 25 people showed up. It was ridiculous. I thought maybe we'd get five based on how before we had zero, aside from Stephen and me. And we just had to keep adding tables and chairs. And having that one spark to start things off is how the Denver Denver group got going. And I don't know how you could recreate that. There needs to be some sort of central clearinghouse area where people that are interested in this sort of thing can go and see like, ah, okay, here's where the group is meeting. And, and maybe once a year, this is our official new people come and be welcome thing. A lot of Sounds like we should have a rationalist holiday. Yes. We have solstice. Eh, everyone has solstice, That's, though. That is good. Petrov Day? But yeah, that is good. has pagan and Wiccan uh, connotations and influences. And nothing against those communities. God knows they're awesome, and I enjoy being a part of them and communicating with them. But maybe, like, when was Thomas Bay's birthday or his death day? Well, I like Pi Day. Like, it would be great like if Petrov every day. rationalist in the world had, like, an event that day and maybe volunteered at schools or something. Like, did something to help the community and make it a little bit more rational and then went out and celebrated. We could get that off the ground before the next Petrov Day on a small level. Possibly, uh, yeah. I mean, at the very least, I could take the day off and, you know, go find somewhere to talk yeah um you could probably um have an event at a library like denver public library yeah i mean if it's our religion it's a religious holiday and they can't stop us from taking a day <laughs> off god bless america <laughs> we, we still got incorporated as a religion first yeah 
That's like what? 500 bucks? <laughs> I, I actually don't know. There's you a couple other hoops to jump through. You've got to like have, and it depends, I'm sure it varies state by state, but some of the base ones, like you need to have some tenants, which we have, yeah. but you need to have, I mean, well, we plausibly have if we're going to say our religion. We're not, but if we're going to say that, fine. Um, I think you need to have a place of sacredness, mm. whether it's, and maybe sacred is even too loaded of a word, but there there has to be a location that people congregate at. And it can't be the co- the common room, I'm assuming, of an apartment complex, that, at least not without their endorsement. Right. Um, so, you know, I guess it, I doubt, you know, a restaurant would let you use their back room as your, as your church spot. But I do think we're getting... No, it should be outside. I do think we're getting a bit far afield of the original... Why are right-wing people creeping into rationality and co-opting What can we do about it? Topic, yeah. We, we, sorry, we went off I, on a tangent, and I like this tangent, and we will have to pursue this tangent someday. But this is probably not a thing we're going to hammer yes. out on one podcast episode. You're correct. I feel like that conversation is one that we should rope um, Matt Freeman into also. Yeah. I agree. Um, so we can fulfill our Matt quota. I guess, so I had a <laughs> list of questions. We already went mo- through most of them. So do you guys think this is a problem? If it is, do you think this is our battle? The third problem was, can we coordinate? And then the last one is what we should do. I, and I do think it's a little bit of a problem. Eh. I mean, like, not without incident, I pulled their reply to your, to your initial post, uh, said that I think the rational community has some specific properties that make it attractive to the right generally. Uh, it's not just the general diffusion of a successful set of ideas, uh, let me skip down a little bit. Doo, doo, doo. So the properties. First, the community is very against perceived censorship and pro-absolute tolerance, which I think is true, right? Yeah. Uh, and not without instance, it says, I believe this will always drag a community to the right, which oh, wait. I don't think is true at all. Actually, the absolute tolerance thing, I think, is taking it a bit far. I think that we're a community that will listen to your ideas and won't censor you. Yeah, And like, you know, I think we're absolute free speech, but also like, I think that if somebody is at a rationalist meetup harassing people, insisting that like, oh, yeah. blacks are inferior, and right. they're not listening to any of the arguments that you're saying. Why do you have any of these other races in your meetup? I think meetup? you would kick that person out for, yeah. for harassing people and, you know, derailing whatever conversation you're trying to have. I could even imagine, you know, sitting down for half an hour with somebody who's spouting some egregious bullshit, and you have a long conversation with them, and at the end... Per you know the Rappaport's rules of good discourse, you're able to repeat their argument in a way that they totally agree with. Mm-hmm. So I really understand. Do you mean this, this, and this? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like, cool. I think that's a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, don't come back. <laughs> right. Well, at the very least, you know, let, let's let's talk about why I think it's stupid. So like, tolerance would be like, okay, well, that's your opinion. Whereas like, yeah. all right, cool. Now that I fully understood your position, now I feel fully qualified to say you're an you, that's not necessarily that you're an idiot, but that that's a really stupid belief. I do think those are good qualities of the rationalist community, though, willing yeah. to yeah. engage with any idea at least once that, that's why i brought it up is that it was that that's distinct from tolerance yeah it's and it's I just a it's it's a willingness to listen to good I faith think, arguments yeah i don't think that'll necessarily I, drag a community to the right though unless a community is already to the left of the truth whereas if a community is to the right of the truth that such a thing would drag them to the left right i disagree the argument that leftists give against liberals is very similar when you have free speech and you encourage it, like alt-right Nazis aren't going to come out and say that they're alt-right Nazis unless they're real idiots. They're going to use every dirty trick of conversation, every tactical error. And 
allowing them to do this gives them more opportunities to spread their propaganda. If they come up with new arguments, that's one thing. But every time you allow one of them to rehash an old argument that has been settled about race science or crime or statistics like that, you're giving them another opportunity to infect the audience. If it's a private conversation between two people, that's one thing, but that's almost never the case anymore. Yeah, but that kind of person you're describing sounds like somebody who would get banned from the Less Wrong comment field or the Slate Star Codex open thread. There is actually a policy, at least in most, I think, rationalist spheres of, okay, we're, like, we've heard this argument, um, you're not listening to anybody who's arguing back at you, it, this is not a good faith conversation, so, you know, like, strike one, and then, like, oh, they're doing it again, strike two, strike three, you're banned. Yeah. I see this happen all the time. And that's true, and I actually think that's one of the strengths of the community, but we don't show that part of us banning people that often. What people know is that you can do, like, you can take refuge in our community as long as you don't say anything too egregious and you never cross certain boundaries verbally, regardless of what your beliefs very clearly imply. Um, that was one of the... That was something that, like, the partner I was having a argument with had said. Like, based on me reading the Slate Star Comics... Slate Star Comics. Slate Star Codex comments field, I, I see people making all kinds of, like, horrible things. Well, no one should read the comments on anything ever. Yeah, like, comments first of all, the comments the section are not representative of the community. I mean, isn't that the rule for the entire internet? Never read the comments? <laughs> yeah, that was actually my response. I was like, you read, you read the comments? <laughs> right. Now, actually, I, I like the comments. And Slay Story Codex tend to be pretty high quality, but occasionally, yeah, you do get trolls and assholes, and yeah. usually they get dealt with either by people ignoring them, uh, people arguing with them, uh, or eventually them being banned if they refuse to engage in good faith conversation. Hmm. I feel like, yeah. So did you get... Sorry? I'm sorry. Go on, Jess. I was interrupting you. Um, I, I think I want to agree with what you're, what I think you were saying, where it would be nice if kind of as a community we could agree on a, a set of norms where this is, if you want to be a member of the rationalist community, exist in a rationalist space, either a physical meetup or a comments thread, this is the way we will deal with you. You're welcome to join. You're, you can say whatever you want, um, but you have to be willing to engage in good faith arguments. And if you troll or if you refuse to change your mind and just keep saying the same dumb thing over and over again, then we will ask you to leave. Well, you can refuse to change your mind. No one is required to have certain beliefs. I don't. I think if you're unwilling to update based on evidence, then you're not a Bayesian rationalist. Yeah. And I you don't belong in the group. I think you guys are talking about different kinds of things. Like, we could have a very serious disagreement about like how we ought to like you know work and how much we ought to donate to charity or something but like you know if you're if you're coming to you know a local meetup or to lesswrong.com and you're insistent on being a flat earther then like it we're not like if you if you're not getting over your flat earthism you're not getting the point of what we're doing here i think right? the only real well, line for me i i disagree the way you should deal with that is you talk with this flat earther if they claim to be a rationalist and be like, let us let reality decide between us, right. between the two of us or as a group, let's feel like let's figure out an experiment that you can trust and let's do it I th or find someone who has done it and see the results. It and if you don't update after that, that's more suspicious. Yeah, that's basically what I was what I meant, I guess. I mean, like I, I, 
I like the idea of actually doing the experiment. Um, but I think that it's also an unnecessary step because we, there's mountains of evidence for, you know, evolution happened. <laughs> um, like in general, I don't the think earth is not flat. <laughs> humans, humans don't update immediately. It's a, it's a process and it takes time, but more importantly, I don't think that we should require anyone to necessarily update in, in, a, in any certain direction just to be around us. I think the only really bright line I would draw is anyone who's trying to invalidate someone else's humanity or or imply that someone else's humanity should be invalid, like someone who is disabled or someone who is a different color or anything like that, uh, that would be the line where I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not even going to tolerate you being around. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Like but Everyone I... has a right to live and to flourish. Every human does. But I also think that, I don't know, I don't think that people belong in the rationalist community if they're not going to update their beliefs based on facts like that's the core tenet of what it is to be a rationalist yeah i mean yeah you have to make your map more accurate for all the crazy things i've said about magic and wizardry and all that nonsense <laughs> i consider myself a rationalist because every day i think at least a little bit about what can i do to make my next day better by predicting it and changing stuff based on what i learned that's it. Do if you don't do that, I don't know why you're even involved. Yeah, I agree. That is a core requirement. Just that I don't think anyone should have a, a say on what the actual truth that people should update towards is. Like, there's some things that are patently obvious, like, you know, the, the shape of the earth. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm still uncomfortable with saying you aren't updating in the right direction. Therefore, you aren't a rationalist. Like, if someone is actually trying. Yeah, no, um... If they're trying, then because like, like, it could be us. Th that's, that's called wrong, doing right? a, a good faith argument. Um, the the thing that I'm saying is, or the scenario I'm imagining is, someone joining the group and very insistently trying to argue whatever their whatever their talking point is that 9/11 was an inside job or oh the proletariat needs to rise up. <laughs> well, I mean that's something we could all actually have an interesting conversation about. <laughs> but like somebody that has a, a fallacious belief about stuff. Say, uh, Chinese people are more violent. Uh, or, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. Are you saying they aren't more violent? Their kung fu skills are too great. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you're trying to pick something less obviously absurd than flat earthism. I mean... Well, I'm trying to pick something that's not, like, an actual... I don't, position Something that that's going to, like, poke somebody. Sure, well, like, what if it was just something pointless, like, uh, like Asian people um, live longer or something? Like that's an empirical question, yeah. Right, and so if if I believe that they did, and I have no idea if they do or not, they do. Um, they do. So, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's actually uh, that, that's complicated, but yeah, go so on. It probably depends if you live in Hong Kong or not, right? Um, like if you're living in a high pollution area, I imagine your life expectancy. Tends, oh yeah, but, yeah. Anyway, um, the so like whatever whatever my belief was, w you know, you can make it specific enough. And then, like, all right, cool, let's go look. And, like, we're not going to follow people around. We're not going to follow around 10,000 people and see how long until they die. We can just look at the statistics of, you know, mortality rate by area or whatever, life expectancy by area. You can also look at genetics. Uh, a lot of Asian people have a Fox 03 or 08, I forget, gene that is correlated with longevity. That you could do that, too. Um, but then, you know, I guess, I, I, I guess I'm not really sure. I see what you guys are talking about. Like, do we kick people out based on... I think it's pretty easy to spot if somebody's not making good faith effort. Mm -hmm. And like 
if I came to you and I was like, no, no, I insist they actually, you know, all the numbers you see online are fake. This gene's not real. Um, you know, they, the, the census data is all made up. They all actually die at like 60. You've never met an, a person of, you know, that's Chinese over 60. They're just lying. Like if I, if I'm coming to you with those many caveats as like to why my, my belief must be true. Um, now I'm pretending like that they, that they live uh, less or something or shorter. Um, it, I think it's it. You can spot that coming, right? And it, like, I guess, I I took Tinyash's concern of like whether or not you're giving them, you know, whether or not they might be right. And we want to update in their direction. Sometimes you can just tell, and like that's a very dangerous thing to say and like to hold on to because you can just use that to justify, you know, fully justify anything. And yeah, yet, well, sometimes they're like they have an argument that's a popular argument that we know is wrong, like a uh, acupuncture works, or a. Uh, Andrew Wakefield was right, and vaccines cause autism. If somebody came into the group, I mean, we've all been th over this a million times, if they start saying vaccines cause autism, and they have, as ammo, the same bullshit arguments that we've heard a million times before, then, you know, if, and that person is unwilling to actually be like, here is the evidence against this. Yeah, and I'm torn on how to I, handle that. I don't want that person to be in the group. I've, see, I've seen arguments go, it's like, well, have you read the sequences? And it's like, I'm not going to go off and read a million words of stuff and then come back to you in eight months and let you know if I still agree with you or not. Like, can we hash this out now? And so, like, I don't, I don't my know answer is always my answer is always your beliefs have to pay rent. If you don't trust vaccines, you don't trust the rest of modern medicine, which is based on it. So have you decided to never go to a doctor again? Have you decided that every like cold medicine doesn't work? Because if you aren't actually living by your beliefs, then you don't understand the network of reality that underpins your society. Like that's the argument against that. Like you're a hypocrite. Yeah, that's great. You actually do believe all of this stuff because your actions say it. If you didn't, you would be living in the woods making herbal medicines yourself. But I bet you you're going to take that aspirin when you're hungover. Can I bring us back to the original topic? I think no. it's, at least one of us should. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, let's do it. Uh, I wanted to make a, um, I don't know if this is a point, uh, a suggestion that was brought up again by Not Without Incident. This goes in the school of nobody is an agent. We're all just cliches of the times. Um, uh, he points out that Da, 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 where was it? Or I don't know. They, I'm not sure gender of this person. Um, that uh, rationalists tend to be contrarians generally. Uh, tend to be people who are like, well, I've looked at things and I disagree with what the rest of society says. And here are my reasons why, right? And uh, as it turns out, a lot of the early rationalists around Eliezer's and mine age, who are now late 30s, maybe even early 40s, we grew up in the 80s. And the 80s were an extremely right decade. Uh, they were a reaction against the 60s and 70s. And so pop culture was far on the right. And as contrarians, we are all very far left. We are poly, we're open, we're anti-religious. We tend to have very left-leaning uh, positions. The newer generation of rationalists that are joining now that are in their 20s, maybe early 30s, uh, grew up during a very left-leaning time. And as rationalists tend to be contrarians, they're going to the right because that is contrary from the milieu they grew up in. So uh, once the cycle goes a little bit further and we're far into the right again, then all the newest generation of rationalists in about 10 years will be left again uh, is, a, is a possibility. Um, and I, I kind of agree that rationalists tend to be contrarians 
and that uh, this may just be a cycle of us always being the the opposite of what the general culture is. I don't think that we are necessarily just like rebellious teenagers being like, oh yeah, dad. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Contrarian doesn't necessarily mean rebellious teenager. Like, yeah, Robert but Hanson I mean, um... contrarian. it just means people who do not like being lumped in and accepting what everyone else accepts. Yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're people that tend to reject the status quo and want to take it apart and figure out which things are good and which aren't. Yeah. But um, I, I will accept things from the culture that I think are doing a good job. Right. I'm not going to be a... And so when the culture is more to one way, then... Like, for example... The newer influx of rationalists will tend to be the other way. I'm uh, in my early 30s, and I grew up in a liberal time, and I'm still mostly liberal. I didn't feel the need to... I mean, I, I guess I... I didn't go into the like regressive left but i i think i'll be i'll be concerned for the future of the rationalist community if in 10 years we've switched a lot of our positions like from if we start being anti-chronics or we st like if okay. we start reacting against the things i mean i don't want to say like we're we're right about all these things now and we shouldn't change our minds and yet like this is only the kind of experiment you could look at 100 years hence but like if things swung back and forth every 15 years it would be just like every other group yeah. And that's not the point of this. This is supposed to be like, no, we're figuring out reality. We're going to get more and more correct. We're not going to keep swinging around. And, and uh, although, of course, like I said, I don't know how you avoid doing any of that when you're like trying to, you know, make your map as accurate as possible and be willing to change your mind. Um, oh, unless you get everything right the first time. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, well, also because the maps that we I mean, come into adulthood with are the ones that we were raised with. So the way we fix our maps is always going to often have to be moving away from how we were the maps we were given so i want to bring up the amish community okay i live near the amish and i heard you guys talking a few weeks ago about them and i think there's a misconception you guys have the amish are not against technology per se they are against technology that destroys their community for example, a lot of these Amish farms around me have computers in their barns because they have multi-million dollar businesses. Like, you can't run one of those today without a tool to help you. But they're like the most basic Excel-only computers they have. And, and when they want to bring in a new technology to their community, every Amish family thinks about it, but they also have elders in the community, and it's kind of like a ground-up decision like now they've just started to get cell phones but they don't have smartphones so how do they, how do they accept computers but not like buttons and blood transfusions not what like buttons for t-shirts i mean why do something new if you don't need to it's not that much harder to do it the old I, way. I would feel like having so a cell phone would, would destroy your community a lot more than being able to button your shirt they don't have cell do phones. they not have buttons he was saying that they're, that they're looking at having cell phones just not smartphones oh well okay as long, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. The the ones around me wear buttons. They kind of look like dorky accountants. So what? Am, I, there's. I, I could have sworn we talked about this. And like buttons was the go-to example of like one of the technologies they resisted. That's why they they had. I don't remember talking about this, and I've never heard about the buttons. Am I totally making? Yeah, this up? I live in the Amish community, and I tell you they wear buttons. Yeah, <laughs> Disprove I, I can go take a picture. No, I, I believe you. I'm not Weird Al's song, Amish Paradise, specifically re references he's got a lot of buttons and he I wears a cool was, hat. I thought it was Buckles. Oh, I think it was, was Buckles. Buckles. Oh, crap. It's always hard to hear words and songs. Honestly, a third of what I know about the Amish community comes from that song. <laughs> okay. Another third comes from the movie um, 
the the Shyamalan movie. Uh, oh, oh, the village. The village. I don't think they weren't they were even Amish. Amish. <laughs> they weren't Amish. Exactly. So my my I realized my my, my math's very fuzzy. Okay. Um, and I guess the rest comes from but, like pop culture, Rumspringa, and all that random stuff. Yeah. I think that's what David's trying to say. We I, my, don't actually understand the Amish. My view yeah. of the Amish has that's really fair. improved a lot since David first explained them to me a few months ago. So. Fair enough. Yeah. So we're, we're just my I guess my last thing to make sure I'm not totally crazy. They're anti medicine. They're not pro medicine, right? Like they can still die of an infectious disease because anti you know they won't take antibiotics. No, not at all. In fact, Hershey Medical Center near my house has one of the best genetic disease sections in the world because they're such an inbred community. They have the highest rate of uh, genetic diseases in America. So it sounds like they're trying to rectify some of the uh, maybe more extreme aversions to technology they've had in the past i mean they they do have some issues with blood transfusions but they're actually pretty okay with like plasma as long as there's no actual human blood like if it's all artificial like they're not against every technology but they do have a way of deciding which technologies and which things they want to let into their communities and which ones they've decided are frivolous uh, comings and goings of the outside world. Let's put it that way. Okay. The reason I bring them up is I think that the rationalist community, if we want to move towards a more intelligent way of progressing forward instead of just whiplashing left and right with every generation, needs to have a similar structure but with ideas. Because the truth is, a lot of traditionalist ideas, I think, are a lot of valuable. Like, I often find myself a little bit right of a lot of people in this community, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at the evidence and update. Like at this point, I don't understand how you can be a conservative and be against universal health care, especially considering there are conservatives in other countries that are like already have it. So that would be something that I think would be a good stable idea to put into the canon of rationality. You don't have to do universal health care, but it seems to have worked well for all these other countries, and there's a lot of evidence for it, and this is something that maybe we should espouse in general. Or maybe it would be something more about psychology, like we have discovered a new way of thinking about psychology, and there's a lot of evidence for it. Yeah, like parts theory, or uh, uh, surfing uncertainty. What was that? And... Yeah, and nobody is required to believe anything that a high council says, but it definitely helps if there's, like, at least a robust discussion within the community about it, and then a group of smart people that we all kind of trust saying, like, this is where we generally lean. So, two quick things. Um, I like this conversation, but I need to go roll up my car windows because it looks like it's going to start thunderstorming, Mm. and two... I'm still coming to the overcoming the trauma of having been wrong about everything I believed about Amish people. If you have if you have a any sort of like less than an hour documentary or like YouTube video to explain all this to me, that'd be oh, great. Oh, um, Kevin Kelly, uh, who I think is the founder of uh, Popular Science or Popular Mechanics, one of those. He has a book about um, a bunch of stuff that's cool. And I, I remember I was listening to an interview with him. He and his family go and like stay with the Amish. Perfect. That'll, that'll be my resource. I need to go out my windows. I'll be right back. You guys keep going. Cool. While Steven's going, we should also probably start considering wrapping up because it's been over an hour since we actually started started. And we should yeah. have hit some less wrong posts. I had a couple of more points. Go uh, for it. Should, and pro- probably the yeah. rest of you have some final points. Uh, I was trying to find a segue to this and we weren't able to get to it. But as far as the 
people using the name rationality. Um, I remember I have the frustration that like we're stuck with this name now because a lot of people confuse it with rationalism, which is a different philosophy. Mm-hmm. And um, I would like it if we could at least maybe start calling ourselves Bayesian rationalists. I think that was suggested at one point early on in Less Wrong, and I don't know if it necessarily caught on or not. But then at least like we can differentiate from Ben Shapiro's form of rationalism or if somebody confuses us for somebody who believes in rationalism. I do generally, when I talk about my myself and my belief grouping, use the term Bayesian rationalist just for that reason. You, you were saying, David? Oh, I was just going to say, I don't know how successful such an endeavor will be, but I agree that it's a good one and I'll start doing the same. It can't hurt. Yeah, I'd like for that to catch on. I think that'll help a lot, too, uh, if we do actually have any kind of concerted effort at going on Ben Shapiro's blog and arguing with him. Steven, welcome back. Okay, Jess, you were saying something. Cool. Yeah, it also started hailing out there, so that was cool. I made it out there just in time. Oh, that's what I heard. Yeah, it didn't occur to me that... Actually, it did, but it was by that point I was too into it to try and pull my phone out and turn off the noise, but I'm sure you heard the car going and all that so you know what this means though it no sounded alarming yes it won't stop people no. it, might, it might stop this i mean this it's spring it goes it'll it's hail true. for an hour and it'll, it'll be done, done so yeah. all right jess you had a thing oh yeah really quick the fireworks right. though for anyone listening outside the united states who doesn't know today is the fourth of july right which everyone in the country gets together to set off fireworks to celebrate captain america's birthday huzzah yeah a truly a holiday worth celebrating that's right this is the day will smith saved us from aliens <laughs> that's right <laughs> Cool. Two things worth celebrating. And everyone puts out a tree, and then Captain America puts a bald eagle egg underneath it. So, All right. Yeah. And we burn an alien. <laughs> <laughs> On top of the tree. <laughs> alien effigy. Like Guy Fawkes did. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, Jess, yeah. Gosh, what was I saying? Okay. I was talking about wanting ch- to uh, change to saying, oh my gosh, it's hailing. Yeah. You had something you wanted to segue to, but there was no good seg- segue, so you're just going to bring it up. I'm very distracted by the fact that it's hailing. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Did you see that, like, three feet of hail that Mexico got earlier this week? I did yeah. not. That's that was horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, they got a meter and, like, 1.2 meters of ice. It's the most ridiculous pictures I've ever seen. So then, like, four feet, I guess. Four and a half. Those are some big hail chunks outside. Look at that. Yeah. Bet you anything, my car's going to totally start going Totally normal off here. weather, people. <laughs> yeah. No end of the world coming, we Everything's promise. Everything's fine. <laughs> Steven's slowly just closing the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> it has kind of got a fun quality to watching it, like watching a fire, you know? Well, Steven's slowly opening the curtain now. It's harder to think about talking yeah. stuff. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. Oh, nature. Back to the topic. So you wanted to call us Bayesian rationalists? Yeah, well, I mean, I have been for quite a while. When I introduce, when people ask me about like my beliefs and stuff, I say I'm a Bayesian rationalist, because just saying rationalist is. I have run up against the like, um, you know, I belong to the rationality movement, or I am a rationalist, and they're like, oh, you're like one of those people that thinks, and then they say something that totally mischaracterizes. Right. The rationality community. That's that's exactly what David has a problem with, right? At that point, then I can say, no, I'm a Bayesian rationalist, and what that means is we update based on information and try to improve our thinking by identifying cognitive biases and 
but using techniques and you know the, the the whatever definition but there's a lot of people that are too polite to say oh so you're one of those racist alt-right people so they won't say anything this which is why i head it off and just say bayesian rationalist right at the front i often just drop rationalist and just say i'm a bayesian huh and then when people ask what that means i'm like well i think about things as rationally as i can and this guy named thomas bayes created a formula that allows me to be a lot clearer and cut through a lot of the mental bullshit. So I'm a Bayesian. That's not bad. I do like the fact that Thomas Bayes is dead. Why? Yeah, well, like nobody... he has the best quality for being a religious leader. I, I, I think that is actually pretty important oh, okay. because then nobody can be like, there. it's just this one guy trying to <laughs> self-aggregate, self-aggrandize. Self yeah. He also and... can't get old and get a Twitter and start... Right, right. weird stuff he also can start sleeping with like all of the youngest of his followers because then that always makes your religion look bad yeah um what else what else about this topic i have some concerns about uh about our ability as a community to just organize on something not not like necessarily that we can't um coordinate in general but i think that we won't run up against uh resistance from people who think that we should be working on these other most important things. Our public image is not in the top five most important things that we need to be worried about right now. Do those people deny the fact that things are easier when others want to help you? They would probably be of the opinion that the people that we want to have helping us are the people who are already here or who are going to find us and aren't going to be listening to Ben Shapiro anyway. And, uh, that we don't really need to have a organization with outreach and uh, be recruiting the common folk. Let he who was born rationalist cast the first logical stone. Wasn't Eliezer had come up with this whole metaphor for the, the Bayesian conspiracy, as is our name, where it seemed like he actually liked, liked the idea that like, okay, we're going to exist out here. And then if people want to find out what we're about, they have to come find us and read the sequences. And Right. That the uh, knowledge is more valuable when it is seen to be hidden. Right. Like, phys like, like how the light bulb I mean, works is martial arts because... schools get around that. They, they encourage you to enter because they show valuable skills in the public. But then once you go in, you still have to do a lot of the hard work to like, learn how to do it yourself yeah it's I a think, lot harder to show off your rationality i think we had talked about that before and i i do really like that idea like if if there were some places that we were really kicking ass um either you know just publishing lots of really high quality papers uh cranking out scientific discoveries uh innovating in silicon valley in crazy ways attacking politics in orthogonal like strange directions that help people as a whole Step one, kick ass. Yeah, I think we need to do step one, kick ass first before we start I think doing we're step two. Pretty good at step one. We need more high pro high profile cases. Like if Elon Musk was like, if he came out tomorrow and was like, I wouldn't be where I was without the rationalist, you know. Also, yeah. So I guess quick thing, I like rebranding. I I always roll my eyes at that. Cause remember how badly that went for the new atheists when they tried to do brights. Oh my uh, god. I was thinking about that. And yet, Beijing rationalist is not a rebranding. It's just no. a more it's a more accurate way to put it. Right. Because rationalist has like, oh, you mean like Descartes? And they'll right. think you're some esoteric, you know, snob or something. Yeah. And Descartes was not a by Beijing stand Beijing rationalist standards a rationalist. Yeah. Right. Um. 
I I encourage people to just say Bayesian, and then when people ask for more information, say I'm a Bayesian rationalist, and then give your spiel. But I've, in my limited uh, ability to practice this, it seems to get around a lot of those mental connotations. I think I'm going to keep keep with Bayesian rationalist. I think that's enough of a difference that people get some impression that there's something else in play here. This will be the first schism in the church of rationality. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in the Bay Area, people were just calling them the rats, which I thought was really cute. Yeah. Hanging with my rats. I am, as a, <laughs> as a person who cares about public image, I am less cool with this. <laughs> rats can be what we call ourselves in, in, per, in private. Yo, what up, my fellow rat? But as far as my basic point, I think you're right, Jess and Steven. Like, we need to kick ass because I I think this is just an area where the community is being a little bit unwilling to look itself in the face. A lot of it is very introverted people, and they're making, in my opinion, excuses not to do the hard work of learning socialization and putting on a good face, even though the most powerful force on Earth is humans coordinating with each other, and popularity is literally a good measure of like how many humans you can get to coordinate with you. I feel like that's a whole other conversation that I'm very interested in engaging in. Hmm. But as long as we don't do that, we will never get any further, and I think the first step and a place we can kick ass, and the reason I brought it up, is tearing down assholes who use the language of rationality as a way to hide their very prejudiced beliefs. If nothing else, it would be possibly a way to get more mind share. If people are, are seeing this group always going after Ben Shapiro's and pointing out where Jordan Peterson is just absolutely falling on his face and they'd be like, Oh yeah, the Bayesian rationalists. Those are those people who are like kind of rightish, but attacking all the rightish assholes. Yeah, like, I would like for us to have a reputation of not necessarily empathetic people, but people everyone can trust will genuinely listen to your side and will tell you if you're right, even if it's unpopular, and will call you out on bullshit when you're wrong. I, too, would like to have that reputation. Yeah, that sounds uh, awesome. I mean, I go, I aim for that. That's easy to do in your personal life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you subscribe to, be, you know, if you have a history among your friends of being sane and like honest and trustworthy they can come to you and ask for honest feedback and then you know if they if they already trust your judgment they can like appreciate your answer right yeah Uh, i've been uh going around telling people that i do radical honesty although there's an asterisk it's not the original form but it's at the point now where i do have people coming and like asking like so i know that you do the radical honesty thing uh can i ask you something and uh that's been cool and i wish more people would do that yeah I think that's a great tenant of rationality if we were to make it a church. Like, early Christians won their advertising war, essentially, by being hyper-compassionate, even to their enemies. And it was convincing at a certain point in the Roman Empire. So, if we become the kind of people who are hyper-honest, that is the reputation we will earn. Yeah, I don't know that all rationalists uh, are pro-radical honesty. Or I, I guess there's the gap between uh, tell culture, ask culture, guess culture. I think more I think people lean be... towards ask culture in the rationality community. Yeah, I, what is? I think that's a good way to do it. I got. I can guess most of those, but what was ask or what was the breakdown really quick of the three that you mentioned? Um, 
ask culture, guest culture, and tell culture? Guest culture is where you uh, socially competent people can communicate via hints. Everything is implied. Yeah, that sounds kind of exhausting. Well, it has it is, the but that's huge like... upside of preserving deni- plausible deniability for everyone, which is why a lot of people like it. Yeah, but it also throws people under the bus. You can't do it like most autistic people. And ask and or uh, yeah, ask and tell culture, more like radical honesty. I will ask you things directly, rather than make vague hints about it. Like I will be like, w- "Are you interested in having a romantic relationship with me?" Rather than like, "Hey, you want to go hang out?" On Thursday. And so what's tell culture? I, I, I guess I'm... And tell culture is volunteering information. Yo, you, me, dating. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not exactly, but... And so, I mean, I, I guess I... I that, that's all sort of an aside. I could just, I could just imagine, uh, like, well, that's a whole other thing. I'll yeah, say I, I, this is another thing that deserves a whole conversation. We are getting low on time, so maybe we should try to wrap this up. Did anybody else have any final thoughts about the... Um, is is rationality being co-opted topic? I mean, in my nice little bubble, it's not. Mm. But I can see if people out there are saying, I guess, does Ben Shapiro use the word rationalist? Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't even ask that I question. Think he uses the word rational. Yeah. And rationality. Yeah. And to most people who aren't introduced to like the sequences, it's a lot to read and absorb over a long time. Those things are the same as being a rationalist. They are. People like talking fast and sounding smart is being a rationalist to most people. I think that's just an admitted weakness. And it's our job to dissuade that. A lot of people's first, first idea stereotype of a of a rationalist is like some British person explaining why empire is the best and it is the white man's burden to help lift up the lesser races, that kind of thing. Or Spock. Or Spock. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That's the other one. Well, that. Yeah. I mean. I think that maybe just rationalist. I mean, it was it was always a, a tough choice in what to like name the thing, right? Yeah. But yeah, I guess Bayesian would have been nicer if that if we had started that way. It Bayesian might have been. is too vague. No one would have jumped onto. It sounds like a math thing too. It is a math thing. It is a math thing. But it's also just like it doesn't tell you anything. Whereas Bayesian rationalist, it has the rationalist core there, which grays you know yeah. conveys information to even someone who is not familiar with Bayes. Yeah. Right I on. think it, Bayesian rationality is more complete of an idea because we are rationalists and this is the the protocol that we have for doing rationality, Bayesian statistics, or Bayesian updating. I don't have anything else to add. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. I think we're all in agreement, yeah. <laughs> we're all in agreement. New church, David's the Pope. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Dark Pope. Give me one year. So I can ordain myself properly. Or harmful to human anyway. By the way, thank you guys for letting me talk about this. It's been really getting under my skin. No, it was a lot of fun. I think I I mean this is this is an important subject. I I I mean I didn't have a lot to, to add as far I think it's mainly because this is sort of like the like noticing the problem stage, right? Um and other than for me to say, oh, yeah, I see what you're talking about. I, I don't have, like, a lot more to build on it yet. So, um, And to be honest, I think a lot of people have been noticing it, and we just haven't said anything. So I, I mean, saying it is good. I, I, I knew – I've seen the, the, the tropes and memes of people making fun of Ben Shapiro. Like, there's that Onion article where he, you know, destroyed that homeschooled, tw- you know, 12-year-old or something. <laughs> and – or 17-year-old or something. And, uh, like – with facts and logic and rationality. And I, like, they're always in all caps. Like I'm assuming the titles of YouTube's of his YouTube videos are, yeah, yeah. um, 
And I, I just assumed everybody knew this that this guy was a, like that this sort of thing was a joke. I know he has a serious following, but I always assumed that no one thought that that was the same thing. And yet, now that it's pointed out to me, how could there not be any confusion? Yeah. So, uh, this is more raising that. And I always try to remember my mind state before I learned rationality, and I probably would have been fooled. Like, I was smart and clever. But I was very far from being self-aware enough to be like, am I updating? Yeah. Or am I just finding confirmation bias? Like, I didn't even have the language then to realize when I was doing that. And what? We're like 0.001% of the population if I'm optimistic. Yeah. All right, moving on. Also. Also. Okay, go ahead with yeah. the also. Oh, I was just going to say, the best repudiation of uh, Ben Shapiro I've seen was on Philosophy Tube last week. And it kind of was the reason I posted, because I was upset. I was like, this is the best ar logical argument against him, and this dude is hyper-leftist. So anyone who's new is going to see this and assume leftism equals rationality. Right. No, and always the best response to these sorts of things is actual logic and real rationality as opposed to like i don't know screaming about emotions or whatever because that that only that further is like an applause light for people who are already against him and it does nothing to help anyone who isn't against him or who is on si on his side but actually using real logic and real rationality to show how he completely falls apart in the face of meeting the real world really would i don't know maybe get a lot of people who are currently sort of on his side to see what an idiot he is and it's it's just the way we want to do everything right because things that can be destroyed by the truth should be and the truth is the best weapon yeah. there is and if you can't destroy him with the truth then maybe there's a problem but since we can do that and on that note and on that note let us move on to the sequences for this week uh, we didn't actually take any notes on this one, but they were both pretty short. So the first one is scope insensitivity. Uh, I guess I will quickly summarize it. Yeah. I mean, I, this one, I think we're all kind of familiar with, uh, okay. you can take the lead or I can, whatever, or Jess can, whoever wants to. Let's all take the lead. No, all right. not. Ready? Let's all talk at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my read on scope insensitivity is it's our inability to do emotional math basically we should really quickly like point out a few things that he actually said in that are actually article. in the post yeah good point okay well uh the it starts off by uh quoting a study where subjects were asked how much they would pay to save two thousand twenty thousand or two hundred thousand migrating birds from drowning in oil ponds and the answers were uh eighty dollars for two thousand seventy eight dollars for twenty thousand and eighty eight dollars for two hundred thousand basically all about the same amount uh, and the post goes on to show uh, over and over in many different uh, studies that this tends to be the same case. People, regardless of how the numbers are, uh, they more or less choose the same amounts to fix things. The numbers seem to be more or less irrelevant. It's worth pointing out that you can't. You have to ask different groups of people. Yes, yes. The, the no, you can't ask them one after the other. Right. They, obviously, if you ask them the same number, they would just multiply it by ten. Well, actually, I, I sort of doubt that. Like, because I mean, part part of my do my donating power, like I might give, you know, fifty bucks to somebody's charity, but I can't. If they said, hey, you know what, this is actually going to help fifty thousand people, not five. I can't give a thousand more dollars. Oh, right. Or a thousand yeah. times as much, right? Yeah. So part of it's just by how much you have to give. Um, well. 
I think what the article says is that it follows a logarithmic scale. So even though the problem may have gotten 10 times worse, you only emotionally give as though it got like 1.5 times worse. Yeah, I don't know if this is... Like you... Sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, it's not that we are completely incapable of scaling up or even that groups don't scale up. It's that once we find a point, like whatever we can give, we don't really know how to do proportions correctly. We think the problem is twice as bad when it's 10 times as bad. Yeah, I wonder if, and this might um, actually be controlled for in the study, but like instead of how much would you give of your own money to save these birds, imagine that you're um, in charge of a fund for these birds, like, and uh, how much would you allocate for these many birds versus these many? I wonder if that would change the way people are doing math or if it, the scope and sensitivity still applies. It's too bad Katrina isn't here because she worked with nonprofits a lot and she mentioned that they found if they showed like pictures of large groups of people, the donations would often go down. But if it was just a picture of one person looking really sad, the donations would be much higher. That's that's true. As far as I know, I know that um, like Sam Harris talks about this in his podcast all the time, but that's something that um, you know, like Will McCaskill and Peter Singer have been on about that, you know, you show a picture of one sad little girl starving in Africa you can elicit more charity for her than you can for her and her brother yes. at the same time, or her and her brother and her, her their whole family. Um, because so emotionally, it's, it's hard to, you just can't feel that many people. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of components to it. Like part of it, I don't, I, I think it's too generous to say that it even doubles when the problem, you know, goes up by 10 because the bird thing doesn't even map to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's like a sense of like, yeah, how much will you give to like save Africa? Like to your average, you know, American, you know, tele, teleprom or what do you call them? telephone charity things right telethons Mm -hmm. like nothing i can't save africa why am i going to throw my money in that in the bucket like into that fire that's not gonna do anything but i can save that girl right Um, i think there's an efficacy that comes into play too like you start feeling more hopeless the more people you start adding to that equation right first of all it depresses you and then secondly you're thinking about what can i do to solve this whole village's problems yeah it, it seems totally futile to you know ask can you save these thousand people um I think that's part of it. But yeah, the, the post goes on to talk about a bit more too. So, um, but oh, you were. I think, th- I think that's the, the general thrust of the, um, uh, the essay, right? That, um, this, this is a problem of human cognition. Yes. <laughs> and like, I think, like I think in the, the way to think about it is that we can't multiply emotionally, which is probably good. Um, um, is it good? going insane? It, well, I mean, like, imagine, like, I could be really bummed to learn that you know one person died, yeah. and if I was a thousand times as bummed to learn that a thousand people died, I'd probably just kill myself. Yeah. Um, well, like, like, if you know, every now and then we hear about a celebrity that died, right? Like, uh, when Alan Rickman died, everyone was like super bummed because he's cool. We really loved him as Snape and all of his other roles, right? But then, like, you learned that six million people were killed in world war two just in the extermination camps and you're like that's that's a statistic i i can't multiply alan rickman's death by even 10 much less 6 million that's just a number on a paper yeah and i mean part of it is because we know alan Rick- we we quote know alan rickman right? right um but i mean like even if i'm just trying to think of you know yeah but even if you're thinking about a thousand alan rickmans that doesn't you just you can't emotionally think about a thousand yeah. Americans. Isn't that related to um I forget if this is called uh Dunbar's number where Oh probably. 
you uh, also can only kind of mentally keep track of about 100 friends. 100 to 150. Acquaintances. That that might be the, might be related to that. I mean, but I I don't know if Alan Rickman's in my monkey sphere, right? Or in my Dunbar's, in my Dunbar circle. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's, I mean, and earlier this week, a a coworker told me that he knew somebody who died. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. Like, because they just died like Monday. Um, And, you know, like it sucks and it, you know, bummed me out a little bit, but um, I didn't know this person. The guy that was telling me this didn't know him that well. And so, you know, it, it wasn't that, that tragic. I mean, I was probably, you know, more bummed when, you know, name a celebrity died or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of an aside. Sorry. Were you saying something, David? No, let me think this through before I speak. You guys go on. Okay. He did also point out the same thing in this post that you said that people were more willing to give when they could save 4,500 lives in a camp of 11,000 rather than 4,500 camps, 4,500 lives in a camp of a quarter million, just because it was a larger percentage of the whole problem. So felt like they could maybe contribute in some meaningful way. Yeah. Whereas 4,000 people out of a quarter million just doesn't feel like doing much to address the problem. Right. And that sounds good. Or let me rephrase that. Um, fixing that problem sounds like something that we should do. Yeah. But I don't know, like, if I could tweak my brain to be a thousand times sadder, if a thousand people died than if it was one, I don't think I would. Right. Um, what I should do is just curb my actual response, like my behavior to the, to the problem, and scale that up rather than, like, my emotional response. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you would want to ramp up the emotions associated with that and just go into a horrible depression every time you think about sad things. Exactly. But, uh... The, uh, being able to think about it um, maybe in a practical terms I, I don't know if this is even possible uh, neurologically I think it's possible to try to base your actions on the numbers rather than the emotions I think that's what EA tries to do I mean um, yeah that's the entire I, I think that that would be like the, the, the people who I think are doing the most about the, these sorts of problems right now are the effect of altruists who first of all have kind of said like if you make above uh, whatever the whatever the kind of baseline, like you're you're living a comfortable life salary, then in order to I think it was like sixty two thousand dollars, but it's probably going to go up to sixty five in the next few years with inflation. But somewhere around yeah, there. for the U S. Um, uh, then it, it is good to contribute ten percent of your income to charity to effective charities, and then like I like that because it's a uh, one simple thing that you're doing, uh, it's not like... I think a lot of people who want to be altruistic can get burned out by, there's so many causes, which ones do I pick? Am I not devoting enough at- my attention, time, money to this important thing over here? What about animal welfare? You know, What about rape victims? What about Africa? <laughs> Africa. <laughs> I, I use that also tongue-in-cheek. It's just... I know. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, like, I, I, it's like, okay, what do we do? Well, let's target the worst problems, and let's find the best solutions for the worst problems, and let's find the way that we can get the money the most efficiently to where it needs to be and use it in the best way. Yeah. Totally. Let's tackle the problem with math as much as we can. Yeah. And my, my whole digression on emotions I should have set up better, which was that I think that the reason that people give consistent numbers across orders of magnitudes of dead birds is because they they pick... they they, they they respond with a with a dollar amount proportional to how emotional they feel about it, right? And I think even in the post, he says, like, they, they imagine one dying bird. They're like, oh, that's sad. And they might be able to picture 100. They might be able to picture 50 or 100, but they can't picture 20,000. Yeah. 
And if they picture a swarm of birds that's twenty thousand, they don't they can't accurately scale it up to make it two hundred thousand in their heads. Or at and least so, if they're going by their guts. Exactly. So the what has yeah, their 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 emotional attunement to the problem is how much is a plausible explanation for how much they, they give. He also uh, brought up the So Oh do you go ahead. Oh. What I was gonna say is as a theoretical way to deal with this one of the things you could do as a rationalist is before you hear a plea for your money, make your own mental guess of how many people were affected and how much money you would donate. Like, write down before they say, like, this, like, a flock blank big was affected. Before you hear the number, write down what you think and what you'd be willing to give. And then see the difference between the two. Like, if you said, I would give $70 for 200 birds, and then the newscaster says it's 200000 I think that would give you pause. Maybe you can't give, like, a thousand times more, but you would at least look at your number 70 and be like, I definitely need to make this go a lot higher. I might just give the $70 and say, I hope, help, I hope that one bird. <laughs> and the other 199,000 of them, I hope they find 199,000 other people with 70 bucks. That's a good point. That's yeah, true. You can't solve on it. a practical level. On a practical level, I think Jess is right. Like a once a year or once a month tithe is something that if everyone did it, the world would be better, and it's pretty goddamn good. He did also. Eliezer did also bring up the alternate theory that people may be moral satisficers, where uh, they see something bad and they feel guilty, and so they do something to feel better, and then they feel better, and they're done. Uh, they got that warm, happy glow of helping to contribute in some way, and the actual number doesn't matter at all. It's just a matter of relieving moral guilt. Or even just looking for warm fuzzies. Yeah. Um, well, there was the uh, post about keeping your utilons and your warm fuzzies separate. Yeah, I think that's which, uh, soonish. Yeah, so maybe I won't talk about it now, but I think that, that was another good way of addressing the kind of disconnect between wanting to be a, to satisfice morals and wanting to actually help. I should clarify, I'm explaining... I think the internal algorithm in like non-rationalist people's brains. Um, yeah. We, we as rationalists were aware of the problem. We should do better now that we're aware that this, this glaring issue exists. Um, but I, I know I've told this before, but it's probably been years. I, I had a roommate who's gay and we were leaving King supers and it was one of those oh, yeah. like bell guys for salvation army. And he threw his change into the guy's bucket. And I was like, you realize that like, this is one of the groups that gives like anti-gay rights and stuff. And he was like, I don't care where the money goes. It just made me feel nice to give. That's exactly exa what he actually said. Yeah. And he's a great guy. Um, but it was just uh, an, an example of like, oh, okay, so like you really like this, this, this could have been anything. Mm -hmm. And it was just about, you know, I think um, that's, that sort of thing goes on all the time with people who just, you know, give a couple bucks to something. If you're going to sit down and write a thousand dollar check, I hope you s the average person sits down and actually thinks about it. But actually that the average person doesn't sit down and write down a thousand dollar charity check. So I have a hard time not giving when people are, if you're in PetSmart and they're like, Oh, do you want to give an extra dollar to the save the puppies foundation? And you're a jerk if you don't. Right. But I'm like, but I could also send this dollar to the Bill Gates foundation and buy a bunch of mosquito nets to save children from malaria. And it would go a lot further. I, I have a policy of if people ask me at the cash register to round up or donate a buck or whatever, I have a policy of always saying no. I didn't have time to look into this. I feel like I'm being mugged right now. So no, you cannot have my money. I like it. I mean, that that's one approach. I, I tend to just, <laughs> it's completely random. Sometimes if I've heard of the charity, I'll round up. Um, and sometimes if I've heard of it, I won't. 
Like if I know, you know, like I never round up to give to the uh, the pink ribbon breast cancer thing because I know all they do is spend 90 something percent on buying more pink ribbons. Um, <laughs> so like they're not getting my money, but yeah. It's it, especially suspicious if there's a store that's trying to get you to donate to a charity because it's like, oh, now, now Walmart is altruistic mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, what are you trying to do? You're, you're trying to improve your own company self-image by like branding yourself as a charitable corporation. Yeah. You don't actually care about, I these had this, I had a job like this. I used to be a canvasser for Save the Children. <laughs> so I was one of those people who'd wear a yellow vest and get you to stop on the street corner and give me your credit card. <laughs> oh, damn. Shady. It was... A, dude, that was a hard sales mm-hmm. job. I bet. Real hard. People spit on me in Philly. Damn. Someone threw beer bottles at me. Why would they spit huh? on you? Because it's Philly. People are insane in Philadelphia. Can confirm. <laughs> Always Sunny was a, docu- uh, <laughs> was a documentary. A city of brotherly love. More than anyone likes to admit. Anyway, uh, the reason I bring it up is while it was very hard to get people to sign up initially, once people did, we had a very high retention rate. Because as a charity... One of the things they do really well is every month you get a letter in the mail from a kid you're helping. Yeah, I used to donate to that charity when I was a kid. It's Yeah, and my family did it as well for a while, and I don't think they're that efficient. And in fact, I'm a little afraid to look up how wasteful they are. But I know that at least some of the money they they give does good. And by giving people that dopamine hit every month and they know they can expect it it helps that charity carry forward i think that if you created like a stock portfolio of charities where you donated 10 percent, and then every month you were like hey here's the little kid who this month your money went to go buy them a net over their bed and next month here is a little kid in a different part of the world who has clean drinking water today because of your gen- like percentage contribution uh let's move on to the next one. Oh yeah. wait you look you had a thought no i think that's about it i mean the the just it i guess we we kind of talked around a lot of the stuff but the main the, the post talks about this is scope and sensitivity mm-hmm. and here's like that's that's not the way that it should work that's it's it's a really straightforward short post yeah uh eliezer even ends it at the end with the moral of the story is if you want to be an effective altruist you have to think it through with the part of your brain that processes those unexciting inky zeros on paper not just the part that gets really worked up about that poor struggling oil-soaked bird. Which is, yeah, being effective is about math. Yep. All right. I guess what I was talking about is more like the next post. The next post is One Life Against the World. Such a cool, dramatic-sounding name. Yeah. Whoever saves a single life, it is as if he has saved the whole world. The Talmud. <laughs> Sanhedrin 4-5. Um... I think the main the main point of this post is uh, if you, is the world really is bigger than one person. So even though it feels like saving the world if you save one person, you should generally choose the world above the one person if you're ever given that choice. Yeah, something that makes me mad in a lot of media is like we as a culture think that it is morally good to when like your your character your protagonist has to choose between his love interest and oh the world and they're like 
I'm gonna save the love interest. And we're like, oh, how romantic. And I'm like, bad utilitarian. So as much as I loved uh, Avengers, um, what was the first one? Not the last one. Infinity War? Infinity War. As much as I loved Avengers Infinity War, I was so fucking pissed when everyone was like, you know what? We're going to protect Vision no matter what. You can't have his stone. We're not going to take a stone out and crush it, you know? And it's like literally half of all intelligent life in the universe versus this one guy that the people like a lot a lot of bad utilitarianism went on in that movie absolutely oh yeah there was, that was not even the only case there <laughs> like, was several cases of people being like the entire fucking world or this one guy i think like, it wasn't the even the world lot, it was so. like the universe right like, right yes but or that, universe. that universe to, to be fair to the avengers <laughs> so, so like Another good example of this would be in the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire when Goblin's got the cart full of kids and uh, Mary Jane hanging from the bridge and yeah. he, he ends up saving both, but he jumps after her first. Like, the the protagonists aren't supposed to be utilitarian monsters, right? They're supposed <laughs> to be people, like, they're supposed to be people with, like, human goals and feelings. And so, granted... Yeah, but at some point, you draw the line. They do. And at well, some point, they did in Infinity War, right? They, they decided, hey, you know what? If if things get if we start like they had no idea how much time they had it could have been days and so when they went to go you know get the stone out safely which is a good option if you think you might have days and it might take a couple hours to get the stone out whatever that's true it turned out they got ambushed right away so when that happened they're like all right it's time to fucking kill him and they didn't they didn't you know she held she the the person who could do it held off for all of the eight seconds that it took to agonizingly stare at the person she loved before she blew his brains out right so <laughs> okay. like they did do it okay so. I, you know, but, but point taken. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, <laughs> so this, could you imagine how bad the movie would have been if the second they got this news and they believed it, you know, like Cap just turned to vision and smashed him in the face with his shield and like <laughs> tried to kill him. Like, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so this, have to, it would have been better if vision looked at him and he's like, you know what you need to do and bashed his own face. Against <laughs> I think actually, I, I don't know oh, if I'm remembering this awesome. correctly, but I'm pretty sure Vision himself was like, no, you should do it. And, and the rest of the team were like, no, man, we don't, we don't give up our own. That is accurate. They, he's we like, don't no, trade really. lives was yeah. their thing. Yeah, we don't trade lives. He's like, <laughs> and then of course, Vision like, points he... out the hypocrisy. Like, Captain, didn't you down a ship that, you know, to save everybody else? And it's like, Fuck off, Vision. Kind of what, what, you know, PG thirteen, so he didn't say that, but his eyes did. So there's also a thing with, uh, I think, more to the people on the right that uh, if 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 someone has, if someone is a couple, then and they have children, the mother shouldn't be put in danger. And I saw this in some books I've read where both couples had superpowers, and uh, the author made the mother stay home rather than help find the world-ending threat. But I also saw this in response to Avengers Endgame, where someone made like that super weird racist misogynist cut or something that just cut out all the women from the movie or whatever. And the, I didn't hear about this. The comment was that Pepper Potts should not be on the front lines fighting Thanos because if uh, Iron Man if uh, what's Iron Man's character's name? Tony Stark. If Tony Stark dies and Pepper dies, that child is now an orphan. And I was like. I don't think they had a kid, but I get what you're saying. They did, no, they did have a kid. kid in the they last did? One. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, the, the point is that if Pepper can change the odds of them winning by even a minuscule fraction, she should be in that fight because that kid isn't going to live anyway if they lose. Yeah, that's... I, when I you're feel fighting like that... an existential threat like that, you don't, you don't bother with that kind of... Yeah, you can stay at home and hug your kid right up until you're killed, right. or you can go out and try and fight. Yeah, and yeah. I can't imagine who would be trying to make that reverse argument in good faith. And I mean, uh, sure, 
both of them might die and the rest of the team might save the world and it turned out she wasn't needed there and the kid could have still had a mom but you know what you don't take that kind of risk with the entire universe on the line and she might have helped i mean you know, you know there wasn't well, she did it, help a little bit in the yeah, movie, exactly. right? yeah. i mean she, she definitely did but like we don't know how much tide she turned because you weren't able to see everything going on at the same time right but like yeah if she held things off for one more second that's the second that we needed to win so yeah that's weird yeah even if she didn't help it was still a better decision to put her on the battlefield than to keep her off on the sidelines. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. She was useful. Okay, sorry. We got way off track. Yeah. <laughs> I'll always indulge in it. I mean, no, that was actually on rail. topic. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the saving one person still. For once, the Avengers are relevant. Yeah. That said, I saw the new Spider-Man movie last night. It was a lot of fun. Subverted my expectations twice, which was really cool. Cool. So uh, it was like Homecoming, like the same kind of vibe. But it was a lot of fun. So if you if you like superhero movies, I give it my thumbs up. But that's not a surprise. Just saw it too. I liked so. it more than Homecoming because, uh, just for me personally, uh, I don't like high school dramas. Mm. I think it's the target market. Uh, I, th- I think they do a great job with okay, like here's the high school vibe. Peter Parker is the high school kid, and we're gonna have stories that are about crushes and school. I hate all of that. I hated high school. <laughs> this one has much less of that going on and much more superhero stuff. So. I was into it. I will say this post is the first one where I discovered that Eliezer is absolutely against mind-altering substances and drugs, those sorts of things, uh, where he says that uh, the ex- the experience of making a new scientific discovery is my best reference for what it might feel like to do drugs. And I thought that was an interesting fact about him. And later when I met him at a Worldcon, several years later, uh, I found out that he doesn't even drink. He's, I think I had half a glass of wine once in his life. I wonder if he's changed his opinions on that regarding, uh, first of all, nootropics and, uh, and psychedelics actually having a interesting therapeutic and cognitive enhancing potential. I don't know. I, know I, I saw a Q&A with him a few years ago, and it was he had said he doesn't do any of that stuff, mainly because he's worried about fucking with his brain chemistry personally. Yeah. I don't think he advocates not using it. Um, I haven't heard him make make a positive claim. That's cowardly. <laughs> well, it, it is, but, but it, but it, it, it is it like the evidence is strongly against I... him at this point. Millions of people have done it, and nobody has been. I think, I think I, the percentage I, of I, people I, who've I, done it intelligently and safely is. I think small. his concern is that he 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 has an atypical brain that he's worried about screwing with, and yeah. like if it's currently working for him, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right, or if it ain't broke, don't fuck with it. Yeah. 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 I think that that is completely within someone's rights to choose, and I respect their decision. Absolutely. I also think that... I'm going to reduce my judgment from cowardly <laughs> to overly cautious, in my opinion, but I do get where he's coming well, from. Well, I think if you're one of the that. like 50 people in the world working on what you think is the most important problem for the human species, you might want to take a little extra care with your brain. Which I totally understand. Um, I... What do you guys think? Like, I think, I don't know what the high of making a new scientific discovery is like. It's probably not the same as a drug high. Like, I'm not sure they're even comparable. But I also think the new scientific discovery Uh, one... I know what this feeling is like. Okay. Or at least I have had a mini taste of it. Um... So, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys a while ago, but I found this little Buddhist palm manual of non-Newtonian calculus. Oh, yes. And you did, but I think this may be an entire uh, episode. Yeah, but the main point was 
I have been going through the process of deciphering this weird abstract form of math and finding new applications for it. And at least one of them was completely novel. Like I've checked every academic source I could in multiple languages. I think I have a completely unique math paper. And I have done a lot of drugs in my life. And I can tell you, it is a comparable high. And the math one is better nice. because it's not just a fleeting high. It's like a warm feeling of satisfaction that's growing more and more as I polish my work and work on my paper. Yeah. I, I was gonna say that I think that even if the drug one might be better for like a few minutes, like the drug thing goes away, whereas an accomplishment like that you have for the rest of your life. And maybe I haven't tried the right drugs, but the yeah. stuff I've tried, like you, it it's it's apples and oranges. Like I mean, I guess because I'm always aware that I've taken a drug and that's why I feel this way. Um, if I've done something nice for somebody and it's made you know made them if if it's changed somebody's life and. Or, you know, if I figured something out, I've had small versions of both of those things. Not like an innovative scientific discovery, but for me, that's why I like programming. When I figure shit out, I get that rush. So it's a very small version of it because other people can do it. But when I do it originally, it feels nice. Um, but the, uh, like with drug stuff, it's like, oh man, I feel crazy right now. This is fun. <laughs> um, like the, it, it's, I mean, you might as well be comparing, you know, two other completely unrelated things. This, this is just like, you know, listening to a good song, how does that compare to like the joy of a scientific discovery? It's like, it doesn't, it, 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 they're different. They're completely different sensations for me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even like, I don't know. I'm not going to say I don't like recreational drugs. Some of them are all right, but I'm much more interested in modafinil uh, or cognitive enhancing drugs, nootropics, and even psychedelics are interesting for me because it helps me understand my own brain. I think, I mean, I like, MDMA is the drug I was comparing it to, and that's just like a flood of happy chemicals. Yeah, based on that, and based on the context of the post, I was on. assuming that he meant like recreational, make you feel good and or happy. Yeah, and I was thinking, to I was thinking of MDMA too, but like I still like I'm on it and it felt great. But like I knew like that, you know, it 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 wasn't like I like if you're it wasn't like I thought this feeling was fake because the feeling's real. Mm -hmm. It's as real as any feeling you can have because it's your actual brain. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's like, I knew it wasn't tethered to, I, I and we're kind of aside, but yeah. It, yeah. All right. So back to the post then <laughs> uh, he says that it probably seems obvious to almost everyone that yes, the entire world is worth more than one life, but uh, it might not be entirely that obvious to everyone. For example, People who follow the Greek, Greek conception of personal virtue, which uh, rather than consequentialism, which I feel slightly called out on, not because I'm a Greek, but because I am a virtue ethicist. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, someone who saves the world is virtuous uh, because they are fulfilling their duty to save life, which is a virtue. Uh, but they're not six billion times more virtuous than someone who only saved one life because they were also fulfilling that duty. They're certainly more virtuous if they save the whole world, but not six billion times more um and perhaps another way of of not f grasping this would be that uh the value of one human life is too great to comprehend anyway so like a human just couldn't comprehend it and it's like a scope insensitivity thing if one life is so immensely valuable already how can you even think about you know saving the entire world um, and he points out that, uh, yes, he agrees one life is of unimaginably high value, but that two human lives are twice as unimaginably, unimaginably valuable. So um, please save the entire world <laughs> if you have to. 
you know, if, if humanity could dedicate all of its resources towards, you know, curing um, whatever puppy disease or ALS, like he, he's, he's saying, yes, that's like, that's good. You can't say it's not good, but like it is, if we're going to, if we're, we need to, we need to fix the most important thing. And to him, you know, it's obviously uh, friendly AI research. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's probably right. Um, certainly like, you know, even like curing prostate ca- or like whatever, curing prostate cancer and breast cancer, like great, both good things, but curing death is a bigger, is a bigger win. Yeah. And so like, this is just, I think a, of like the point of the post, I guess is almost too, it's like, if it was as simple as like, what's like written there, it'd be like one sentence. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the point is the subtext of like, no, there's actually big problems that we need to actually solve the really, really, really big problems. Yeah. That's, that's how I read it. And he does say that if two deaf children are sleeping on railroad tracks and uh, someone screams at you to go save them, if you run up, save one, and uh, then just kind of leave the other one there, hang out, have a cigarette, and I'm screaming, quick, go save the second one too. And uh, Eliezer says, eh, I, I already saved one, so I'm unimaginably ahead on points because <laughs> one life is unimaginably valuable. I don't need to do another unimaginably good deed. And uh, that, that just does not seem right at all. Plus, you'd lose points for not saving the second. That's so yeah. weird. What? What's so weird? Like, that doesn't even make sense by the definition of that worldview. I don't know if like isn't the goal, isn't the goal to save an unimaginably huge amount of good things? You already did that when you saved one because it's unimaginably valuable. <laughs> so yeah, it's but, also a fun like intuition pump for like taboo trade-offs yeah, yeah right like i'm not gonna bankrupt my hospital to I, buy one liver to save this little girl um because like we need to keep the hospital running mm-hmm. so i hate this <laughs> can before we continue <laughs> by the way i was gonna say that one thing i dislike about these posts is julia galef once said that rationalists try and work hard to get rid of the word should from our vocabulary because it distracts from the reality that is there Mm. and the reality that is there humans are sensitive to faces and individuals so if we know that humans are scope and sensitive instead of saying humans should be changed into beings who don't have this scope and sensitivity let's accept it as a fact of human nature until we can genetically modify ourselves and work on creating tools that work around it. Effective altruism. sending people pictures and stuff. Like what? Effective altruism and using those very mental biases to encourage us in more intelligent donations. This this post does have um, a last paragraph here, uh, which... I have issues with and originally I wanted to not talk about it at all because I considered him a medic hazard but then I figured one that would be cowardly and two people who read this post are going to see it anyway so uh, I'm going to say right now that this next section of our podcast is a medic hazard you should probably avoid it if you already have problems with guilt and super high scrupulosity is that how you pronounce it okay uh, because this will be bad for you so um scrupulosity yeah feeling very responsible for everything oh i call that heroic responsibility 
Well, this is more of a the bad version of that thing. Yes, this is all in my ver- in in my head. It's always been a bad version too, but I totally get it. Yeah, okay. That's oh, fine. Mm-hmm. okay. I always thought of her responsibility as a good thing. Method of rationality kind of gave it a great spin. Yeah. Um, but the way that I I've I've had a complex like that, I've gotten over it. I guess partly, mainly by stopping caring. I guess about stuff. I guess. But anyway, <laughs> so I'll call it scrupul scrupulous scrupulosity scrupulosity from now on. So all right. Yeah. So this next part, um, again, probably, uh bad for people's emotional well-beings and i would skip forward by about five minutes uh if if you are in that but going forward um he points out that combining scope and insensitive insensitivity the last post with uh this one uh if you were the guy who had the two children on the train tracks and you only saved one and didn't save the other one as if you could have uh not not only did you not save that it's not, you're not the person who saved one life. You are the person who killed one life when you could have, because you could have saved the other one. So uh, you have damned yourself, he says, you have damned yourself as thoroughly as any murderer. Uh, which he puts at the end of a sentence, at the end of a paragraph, saying that, basically talking about donating money to curing fatal diseases, right? Um he says, when human lives are at stake, we have a duty to maximize, not satisfies. And this duty has the same strength as the original duty to save lives. Um, so basically, if you have any money left over after you're done providing for your own uh, continued existence, all of it should go to save other people is how I have interpreted these sorts of things before. And that really leads to a horrible life very quickly. Yeah, he also mentions that you should be disdained for your sp- uh, spending your life-saving money inefficiently. It's what? Yeah, so it'd be... Well, well, wait, wait. I have a question. Does Eliezer Yudkowsky know anything about mental health and, like, maybe people needing things like little luxuries to keep themselves sane instead of just becoming robots that give money to other people? I think people? this is a common criticism. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And it, it's... Like, I think the, I mean, I imagine, well, maybe he doesn't drink coffee, but I imagine Eliezer spends some of his time, like, I mean, he does. In yeah. fact, this was actually something I remember him being called out for in the comments when he mentioned they had a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do you mean you hang out with your girlfriend? Aren't you, like, busy saving the world? Mm-hmm. How can you justify spending three hours watching a movie when, the you know, those three hours could bring, you know, the end of, you know, human death forward by five seconds? Right. How many people did you just kill, Eliezer? Yeah. So, like, I think, I don't remember... Actually, I remember his response to that. It was, like, grossly inadequate. It was, like, you know, those, like, quotes where, like, you're not, like, typing. It's, like, quote, like, shows girlfriend's comments. Yeah, they're being super mean, aren't they? Um, I wonder if he... I'm sure there's more rebuttal to that somewhere else in deeper comments somewhere in later posts. But, like, yeah, people need to live and be happy. Some people... Like, Will McCaskill does this. He lives on, I think, like, 37,000 pounds a year. Mm-hmm. And the and rest he gets... Yeah, and the rest he gives to charity. Um, I mean, this is where the same Peter Singer's argument with the drowning child is basically the same thing, right? If you see a child drowning, you should sacrifice your $2,000 suit to wade into that river and save it, uh, which is true, but uh, he uses that again to lead people to, why are you not donating all your money? You don't need a $2,000 suit. Buy a $100 suit and spend that extra money saving dying people. Yeah, and I mean... But that that ignores time i mean like if i have to dive into a hundred lakes and save a hundred kids i'm gonna drown i'm gonna be too tired like the goal is not to just 
burn yourself out and anyone who is encouraging you to give to the point of burning out or any mentality that says that is shallow and selfish. It's short-sighted. We should be like smarter than that. We should say give as much as you can so that it is sustainable and that you can live your life the longest and healthiest way possible. Because that's the way you actually maximize. Yes. David said it here first that Will McCaskill is selfish and, and uh, <laughs> short-sighted. Short-sighted. I'll I mean, fight him. We've talked about this. I'll in, fight him before <laughs> in the prior episode. I think we spent an entire episode on it at one point, uh, where this just doesn't work very well with humans, especially when we draw these things out to their quote-unquote logical conclusions. It, so it's the logical conclusion, like an econo- like an ec- economic argument, is the logical conclusion of something, right? But mm-hmm. it's not taking into into account like how people work. And so, like, Peter Singer's essay that, you know, the Famine, Affluence, and Morality one in, what, 1975 or 6 that had the little drowning kid in the pond parable was was all about that, right? So, like, the key is, like, at some point, and, like, he's not even necessarily saying you should do this. Um, like, he's not straight up about, like, buying a cup of coffee. But, like, the coffee you buy could have gone to something way more important than the coffee for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was, it, was it Slate Star Codex? I must have been where it's like, you know, look. If you give five percent, if you give one percent, but if you if you do anything, you're doing better than almost everybody. Yes, yes. And so, like, you don't have to worry about being perfect. Just do good if the, you want to. And the I, Slate I, Star Codex post about ten percent is one of the best posts I know of for for making life livable for people who care about others. Yeah, and I, for me, it's just the switch. Like, you know, I I eat a um I, I try to eat a somewhat ethical diet. I eat meat um fairly commonly, but not as commonly as many many people. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, there's still less animals dying from my diet than there used to be. And so, like, I'm not – it's not so much about, like, I can never touch chicken because, you know, ever. If this was ever produced in a factory that was near chickens, like, I'm not going to take it to some – like, to that kind of, like, religious level of commitment. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm doing better. Like, the world's a better place than it was if I was doing the normal thing. But I, I cut off just a minute ago. I was just excited to get going. Sorry. Oh, um, I forget what I was going to say. Shoot. I'm sorry. So, so I basically agree with the concrete example that if you can save two children from a train and you only save one and then walk away, you're basically murdering the other one. And I also agree with the fact that if you're giving a thousand dollars to a charity to make people have shoes, uh, you should probably feel bad about that because who giving people shoes isn't really that big a deal when there's people dying. Spend a thousand dollars in a f- more, more efficient manner, please. This really does matter to a lot of people. Uh, but I think there definitely needs to be a line drawn at the place that makes life still livable for people following your philosophy. And I feel like Eliezer absolutely failed to draw that line and make that distinction in this post. Also, I think this forgets something really important, which is the reason life is livable is not just that we have our base needs met, but the fact that there are things that are beautiful in our lives that give them that sense of meaning. And if you are living a life where every single resource you have that isn't going towards your survival is going towards other people, you are denying yourself the very thing that makes life living livable for other humans. It's not just like, negative it's like actively punishing yourself okay and i said we only listeners only have to skip ahead for five minutes so we should probably cut it off there that sounds good okay unless did, did it come back to you, jess i'm really sorry i was no i, I i'd forgotten what i was saying sorry all right
Yeah, we need to cut this off. Yep. No, yeah. no user. No By the user way, feedback. This user feedback. No listener feedback this time because we have run out of time. But we never don't have time to thank our our guest. Absolutely. Do you so. want to thank him this time? Yep. Cool. Dibs on thinking, uh, Lydia Marie. Big shout out. Thank you so much for your support. Dun, da, da, da. I like that. Maybe we'll leave that in instead of putting in the the sound effect. Thanks, David. <laughs> Just this one time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Once again, your support means a lot to us. As does everyone who listens and does anything. You can find us on iTunes. Do all those usual things. And uh, you know, you, that's about it. You help keep us going. We we do the payout to the three of us every six months, and we are just in the process of doing it right now. So this is particularly relevant to us right now, and we all feel really happy that we have a little bit more money in our bank accounts to buy coffees and or save children. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for that, Lydia, and everyone else who who helps. Yeah, and thank you to people who comment and who go on the subreddit. That's also helpful. And uh, I mean, we were talking about a subject that was brought up on the Reddit today. So that's right. It helps us to come up with topics. Yeah, we've got the, the Bayesian Conspiracy subreddit. Uh, to make this phone call, we started a Discord server. So that will be, there will be a link to that in the show notes, I think, um, for, yeah, we'll have a Discord server. People can get on there and chat if you guys feel like it. Let's do it. A little more live than this. Um, there's a, and I just learned today that there's a way, like, just to sit on the, like, in a voice chat of it. So there's good chance I'll be hanging out there at some point. You know, people want to get on and chat. Um, I work human hours usually, but, um, yeah, something awesome. to look at there. So uh, the permalink for the Discord chat will be in the um, description, so come talk to us yeah Yay. i'm actually on discord yeah regularly on like um reddit <laughs> i'm not on discord that much but you can talk to jess and steven <laughs> neither am i but i will be so all right okay. cool then that's that for this episode and for next episode our two posts will be uh risk-free bonds aren't and correspondence bias Did all I? right yeah awesome all right david thanks again man always great talking to you thanks cool. <laughs> I'll be back Yay. soon. You bet. <laughs> Peace out, everyone. See ya. Peace. Bye-bye. Peace.